Olá pessoal, tudo bem? And welcome to the Brazil Crypto Report podcast, where we talk to the builders, entrepreneurs, and influencers from across the Brazil crypto ecosystem. Today we're coming to you on site at Consensus 2023 in Austin, Texas. Um, a really awesome event here produced by CoinDesk, uh, kind of the, one of the biggest uh, conferences of crypto, crypto blockchain conferences in the world. Uh, it's always a big kind of a can't miss conference every year to be at. Um, so this is this podcast video here is sponsored by Brave, which is a privacy browser used by almost 60 million people worldwide, including myself. Uh, has everything you need to stay safe online. So definitely check them out at uh, at brave.com. Um, and with that, um, today we're going to be talking to Guilherme Santana, who is a Brazilian crypto OG and is also the founder of a very exciting uh, NFT preservation conservation project that he's going to be telling us about here. And um, yeah, with that, I'd like to welcome Guilherme Santana to the show. Thanks for having me, Aaron. Amazing. So why don't you just tell us a bit about some of your background. Um, you've, been, you've been in the space for a while, but you've also done kind of a lot of interesting things other than crypto as well. But why don't you get us up to speed on kind of who you are and your, your professional background? Yeah, I'm an engineer. I've been in the space for a long time. It's actually 10 years this year. So that's why I'm, you know, I learned, learned a lot during this period. Um, I also worked on biotech. I, I own shares of a biotech company as well. But uh, we've been developing a, uh, this project called Preserveland. We want something easy, just save the planet. So the way we do it is we use NFTs to incentivize landowners uh, to convert their land into natural private reserves. So doing that, we avoid deforestation, which is like the good use of, the, of money. Instead of planting trees, it's always uh, cheaper to save the ones that are already there. So that's the, that's the goal of uh, Preserve Land. That's how it was. They started off. Great. And now we do that, uh, those conservation NFTs, uh, and also carbon credits on those projects that, that we do on conservation as well. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so before we dive into like the nuts and bolts of Preserve Land, let's let's kind of talk through a bit more of your kind of your your crypto history. You've done you've been involved in a few different projects. You've done a few startups. You've um, may kind of walk us through what does your crypto journey uh, look like? Yeah, when I start, started off, there wasn't something called crypto or Web3. It was just Bitcoin. So by that time, you know, it was all about decentralization and how it's going to decentralize the world. Uh, of course, it's been a lot of cycles. So now that we are, people tend to say that it's a bear market. Yeah. But uh, I remember uh, Bitcoin in two digits. <laughs> Right. So, yeah. so it's been a lot of cycles. So the journey is interesting to understand. You know, there's a lot of good people uh, investing in those projects. Like a lot of things, like the the developers, they come up with really good ideas. It's a it's a space that is really hard to implement. Uh, the adoption, looking ten years back, still slow. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of friction in terms of onboarding and uh, handling your keys. It's improving a lot. With new technologies like MPC, and uh, but uh, it's still, you know, it's a uh, it's a space where it has a, a a lot to to evolve to get, you know, the kind of uh, penetration it needs. Yeah, yeah, and then maybe you kind of talk us through some of the some of the the projects that you had you originally started out with, and then um, kind of how that 
you know, how, how did that kind of get you to where you are now with doing an, an NFT project? Yeah, again, I'll, I'll start from the beginning. I was uh, like on the, on the 90s, I was working on telecom and mobile devices before the smartphone. That was pre-smartphone. Remember those Nokia games and, and Motorola games? So we, I had a game studio. We had a lot of uh, uh, projects with uh, carriers. So I always worked like in, in the edge of technology. So when I learned about Bitcoin in 2012 uh, in the Bay Area, I got in love with that. So I moved to the Bay Area, started a project called Ubi. It was a, a Bitcoin wallet that you made recommendations of products and you get a, a, a reward for that in Bitcoin. Uh, worked on that project for a couple of years. Uh, the project didn't go well, it was too early. But uh, from that, uh, I always been involved into crypto, not just as a, as an entrepreneur, but as an investor as well. And uh, from that, you know, led me to Preserve Land. So Preserve Land was a group of uh, CEOs and 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 uh, entrepreneurs from the Bay Area. They are all Brazilian, actually, but they all lived in the Bay Area. And uh, we decided to do something towards climate. So how can we attack this problem? during the pandemic. So that's how Preserve Land came to be. And uh, now we're, I mean, the project grew a lot. Uh, we have like over 200,000 hectares of land under contract with Preserve Land. We are starting to rolling out new products to help climate and help corporations uh, engage with landowners uh, to get the outcome they want, you know? So maybe let's walk through a bit of the kind of the, the, the specifics of how how the project actually works, right? So you you're identifying uh, these hectares of land, uh, whether in in well they could be anywhere, but in in, in your case they're in Brazil specifically mm-hmm. at the moment, um, and then you are issuing basically an NFT that's that kind of represents that the, you know the conservation of that land. Uh, maybe just kind of walk us through like how does that all sure. work and how is that all kind of how do you make that sort of like a you know. Like, I could just go and, like, take a picture of a forest and make an NFT out of it. But, like, how Absolutely. are you making this, like, a legitimate thing? Yeah. The, the way we do it is to start off with compliance. So, we identify the land that is, we call it preservable, which has to have additionality. It cannot be, like, government land, indigenous land, and all of that. We analyze the land title. So, once we establish the land as something that brings additionality, which is, you know, it's not a red protected by any means, then we have a contract with the landowner, an option contract, to convert the, his title of the land based on an incentive, a payment incentive. So what we do is, legal, there is a, the Brazil has a the legal framework for that, something that already exists, so allow us to do that, you know, pretty much pay the landowner to convert the land into a land that is, is uh, it, it, cannot, it can be sold, but it cannot be deforestated it's protected by law, and the landowner is liable for that in case that happens. So he's so the landowner is therefore um, he still owns the land, but he's basically forfeited or he sold off the right to actually use that land for uh, like a, you know farming or, or yeah. you know deep, like chopping on trees or, or whatever it might be. Um, and then how does so in the corporations uh, they claim the benefit of the conservation. We okay. can go from carbon credits, uh, which they share with the landowner, as well as uh, water rights and, and things that apply to where they are. 
Got it, got it. In the future, the key is uh, getting biodiverse credits because in the end of the day, it's all about keeping uh, the biodiversity of the planet. So in order to do that, we have to keep their biome. We have to keep where they live. So that's why it's so important to preserve the land. Okay, so so essentially what you're doing is you've, you've kind of built like the legal infrastructure whereby um, your the, the, the landowner can essentially sell off the rights to develop the land so he can he's able to effectively monetize to you know, he's, he's not just having the land like taken from him or something he's monetizing the land in a sense um, the land alternative yeah it's an alternative uh, way for the landowner to get paid right so instead of developing the land and making money off it by farming or chopping on the trees or whatever he can he can monetize it this way. How does the the pricing structure work? Yeah, that, that's an interesting thing. You know, the price uh, there is like an like institution in Brazil that uh, had a research on that. He broke down Brazil like in four hundred and eighty different regions. So they analyzed what would be the alternative use of the land. So they they actually create a precipitation exactly for that matter. Mm. So so we have like a base price that we negotiate with the landowner. Uh, but uh, it's all about negotiation, and uh, so. But we have that we have like some scientific studies towards that. So it's a fair price for conservation. So so there's this this it's Embrapa, right? Yeah, that, So you have Embrapa, uh, which is a, a government. Not I'm not sure exactly what they do, but it's a government agency in Brazil that that is responsible. That they've basically surveyed all of the land and they've kind of assessed. Uh, a value on each of the on each parcel of land just based on the alternative use so would would maybe um you know a, a piece of land like in the sahadu for example that could easily relatively easy be sort of cleared out and and planted with something else would that have maybe like a higher value Correct. than than like a terrace of, or a parcel of land like in dense jungle that would be like really difficult to sort of chop down and and, and yeah, the price varies a lot. We have uh, prices from like a thousand dollars to ten thousand dollars, based on the alternative use. So if it is like a, a land that could be converted for soybean for sugarcane, so that's a high value land. Okay. And uh, if it is something that you know it's not suitable for any reason, then it's cheaper. But, uh, Got it. But still, it's important to make those conservation products in all biomes, not just the Amazon. Right. Because the biodiversity is concentrated on, like, the Amazon has over 5,000 species as, like, a biodiversity uh, count. But uh, it's important to, you know, take care of all the biomes. Yeah, yeah. And then, um, so so basically, so you've got, you've identified these, these hectares of land. Uh, you've got the, um, you know, the landowner to basically agree to... Uh, sell the right to develop that land uh, in exchange for for this sort of conservation uh, credit, um, and then so what happened? And then you you get kind of the legal titling and everything, the legal infrastructure yeah, in place. All, all all the documents and the legal process is the metadata on the on the NFT, so it, it's traceable everything that happened, and is also connect to the uh, the government ledgers. That shows, you know, what kind of land is that, and, and, and it's like the proof of all the process that we did, uh, and actually, the, of course, the payment that is on the net, on the network. So, 
Okay, so 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 the NFT is 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 not just like a picture of the land, but no. it's like it's a it's a you know it's a, a picture of the land, but it also has all this extra metadata embedded into it. Yes. That that sort of that's the it, it's showing kind of the legal all the the legal infrastructure behind us you know the, okay. the legal kind of title to the land or like at least the the you know particular claim on this land. Then it's connected into the relevant uh, you know official infrastructure. Um, Correct. So it's there's 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 a kind of the it, there's a there's like it has it the right verified. yeah it's verified that this is like a real thing yes. that um, is not just sort of you know somebody yeah like a random person yeah. taking a picture and making an NFT out of it and trying to yeah you know, there's sell a lot it. of projects like oh buy this NFT and save this tree but again how we enforce <laughs> yeah. that so it's right. important to be you know something that uh, companies can get into without the risk of you know being something that it's not enforceable or it's not it's not generate the impact. I think in the, in my sector, which is you know here in crypto, we call it refi, right? Uh, regenerative finance. Uh, one thing is very important, really, to demonstrate the outcome of your work, you know, because there is an impact in the real work. So we're in the digital environment, but still, you have you gotta prove what you're doing. Yeah. So it's very important to you know gather all this data and make it verifiable. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, right? Is is because these things, it's easy to imagine a scenario where if this stuff isn't verifiable in any context, it's like, what what problem have you actually solved? It's not you can't like really verify these things in an easy manner. Um, And then, so what? Once the NFT has been issued, that's representing that has this kind of package of of of, you know, it's it's officially representing that particular hectare of land. Once you have NFT. how do you go about like assessing carbon credits against that that particular parcel? Like, if I'm a company and like, okay, I want to buy this NFT to offset my, uh, you know, to, to offset my carbon emissions. Uh, like, how would I know how many like would I get like how many carbon credits would I get for like buying this particular NFT? Mm-hmm. Like, how how does that all get assessed? Yeah, it's two different uh, things. The first of all is the conservation. Depending on the area, you could. Uh, get the certification for the carbon credits. Not all areas apply. It's, there is something interesting, like there is the Atlantic Forest in Brazil. The Atlantic for- Forest is, was almost decimated, uh, but now it got it got to a point was that was a, like twenty percent of the forest still standing, but now it's growing. So there is no pressure on deforestation, so you cannot issue carbon credits there, mm. although it has the same biodiversity of the Amazon. So it doesn't make sense, but so some areas you could have the pro, the the project certified and issue the credits. So that's a, that's the second uh, thing that we do. It depends on like large plots. You cannot do like the carbon credits for one hectare. You just the certification costs hundreds of thousands of dollars. So you gotta do, have a, bear, a larger area. But once we compound all those hectares and we have a large enough area. Then we get the certification on the project, and we issue the carbon credits and share with the landowners as well. Got it, got it. And then, and, and forgive my ignorance, I'm, I, I'm my my knowledge of carbon credit, the world of carbon credits is, is like I know they exist, and there's uh-huh. there's a thing, there's a kind of a whole, you know, there's multiple sort of certification systems and standards in place. But I also know it from what I've heard, it's like it's very fragmented and it's still very. There's a lot of inefficiencies, I guess, and a lot of like kind of uh, you know inaccuracies, and there's a lot of 
frankly, it sounds like there's kind of a lot of just like scams or like kind of fake things floating around out there that like, you know, or shady kind of implementations of some of this kind of stuff. Um, but I, I guess the question would be, you know, maybe can you maybe just describe us maybe we kind of we kind of back up a little bit more or kind of go a little higher, take a little higher level, but like just kind of describe like like how does the whole carbon credit certification process work? Like how do, sure. if I if I wanted to, if I had say if I had like you know a thousand of these hectares, we've got the we've got the land the landowner committed to being a part of this. We have people that are interested in buying these things. How do I go about actually like certifying and issuing these carbon credits? Yeah, there is a process. There are like uh, two of the major certification companies or organizations, which is Vera and, and Golden Standard. So they, they have their process. So you have to uh, access the land, get all the data, you know, create the evidence of that. And uh, so they will certify. So the certification process is actually a bottleneck. Uh, I think technology will help once we have, you know, the data uh, and the way of that validating that outside uh, the certification uh, organizations. I think that that's the evolution that we're going to see. And blockchain can help a lot with that. You know? If we have public, public data sets mm. that helps, you know, validate that, maybe we can get the certification cost down and uh, we get more credits. So it's it's a process that takes uh, between eighteen and thirty six months. So oh, it's wow. a long time, and uh, it takes a lot of effort to get those data. You have to like measure trees and things like that. Oh wow! Yeah. So that's a pretty like manual yeah. process. Yeah, like, no, I mean it, there's technology involved like lidar and things like that. Right. Uh, to help out, but still a very manual process that will improve with technology. We do, we do have a platform on PreserveLand, which is an MRV platform, where we monitor using satellites. So we, we track the biomass and things like that. So we can right. uh, tell the history of that specific uh, forest. Got it. Got it. Okay. So then, so once you have, once you have these things certified, which, which sounds like it takes, you know, there's quite a bit of effort involved in getting these things actually certified. Um, you know, and then these things are actually for sale. Uh, like, who would, who are kind of your your target buyers for these? Our, our clients are public traded companies that they have their ESG goals. So we want to sell this uh, high value digital uh, nature asset. So the idea is that's why we create all this data set. We embed everything on the NFT to assure the quality. So high quality assets is something that is, there is a lot of demand. So those companies, for example, in Brazil, we have something called EASY, which is a, uh, a sustainability index by the stock exchange. Okay. So there are companies that already have that goal. So we are providing a solution for that. That's what we do. And, and a, a, a funny story, like I've been in crypto for a long time. So it, it was unimaginable to have a bank in Brazil with an NFT in their balance sheet, and we achieved that. Uh, so that was that was something that is relevant on the crypto space. Oh wow! So we'll, we'll, can you elaborate on that? Like what? Yeah, so, I mean so the who, client. The client is a bank. Okay. I'm not gonna say names, but the client is a bank, and uh, he was able to put that. And again, it's different than giving up to a, a NGO, because those assets you actually put on your balance sheet. So it's an investment that you do. Yeah. On that sense. So these, these NFTs aren't meant, necessarily meant to be 
Yeah, they're not like meant to be just like sort of like you know trophies or something. You're like, oh look at me, I yeah. own all these like you know preserving. I'm, I'm serving the Amazon with these NFTs or whatever. But it's actually meant to be used by companies who are looking to put these things on their balance sheets yes. as a way of uh, as, as a way of, of offsetting their their carbon emissions. Their impact. This is like, this is like a, this is a critical. This is you're seeing this as a kind of a critical feature uh, for carbon accounting essentially. Yeah. And and bear in mind that like next year, public traded companies in the US will have to disclosure to the SEC their environmental impact. So those companies are looking at solutions right now because once they disclosure the impact, there is an issue in terms of the perception uh, in the company, the branding part. So it's important to bring those solutions to those companies. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And and like and, and just to be clear, like the SEC isn't necessarily, as at least from what I understand, isn't necessarily requiring the company has to actually disclose. That's because they're not necessarily required to do anything other than just disclose what they're already doing. But what that means is that if they're not doing anything, or if it's if it's you know very sort of offset, if it's not like the balance isn't very positive, then uh-huh. they're, they're opening themselves up to lots of uh, you know criticism potentially from outside groups or right. Greenpeace activists or whatever it may be. I right? mean, it's going to be public information yeah, yeah, that exactly. they will have to disclose. So what? So yeah. I would say that's a big step. It's the first step, but it's a big step. From that, you know, the market will uh, the market forces will bring the solutions so companies yeah. that want to you know look good uh they will have to balance it out that impact yeah yeah and and um so it really it seems like it's kind of you know, you know when, you, when you look at you know what what companies have done kind of heretofore they'll they'll usually you know they'll publish like a you know end of the year kind of corporate responsibility Reports or like report, sustainability yeah. reports or something. It's just it's kind of just like marketing material where it's like, Correct. oh, we gave money to they tell a story. Yeah, look there at is all this. not very far. Yeah, right. It's like look at all this great stuff we did, but right. like you know, we don't really don't ask us for any more information because this is you know, all we can tell you. And, and essentially, now they're going to be under a bit more pressure to sort of uh, verify, improve, and, and, and disclose what they're actually doing. And it's it becomes almost becomes more of like a compliance thing than like a marketing. Thing. Correct. Is that a fair way? Yeah, of- that's a fair way of assessing it. Because once the market establishes that you have to offset your impact, then it becomes part of your compliance. Right, right. So, so it becomes it's it's not just like a, you know a fluffy extra expense that you yeah. know it, it's it becomes you know you're not doing it properly, you end up you know, being fined. Or, or, yeah, and bear in mind that like countries in Europe, they already have that those policies oh, in place. Oh, so so. It will become a standard, as I see. It Got might it. take a while, but it will right. become a standard. It's trending in that direction. Yeah. Right. So, so, I mean, have you seen? I mean, what? I guess like, what type of demand have you seen from these types of you know publicly traded companies that that uh, for assets like this to help them kind of offset their carbon accounting? Is this? I mean, is there? Is this? This is. Is there kind of like an active demand for this, or is this kind of like more of like a if we build it, they will hopefully come, or are you seeing are are companies actually interested in this type of? There uh, are demand. The demand still, in terms of uh, amount, still small, because the companies are trying out different solutions. Right. Uh, it's not that they don't want to invest. Then last year, uh, around this topic, and a lot of companies, I'm talking about like large corporations in the US, they just don't want to take the wrong step towards it. So sure. they are all like trying out in small amounts, and uh, as the market shows the direction. 
there will be a greater demand. But it's a market that already exists, conservation and carbon credits. You know, you, you can you can find online prices for those uh, things. Yeah. But, uh, you know, in, in what we're trying is to create a better asset, something that is verifiable uh, using blockchain. Uh, so that's why we create those NFTs. Okay. And then, and I've seen some other companies, specifically in Brazil, uh, like Goal, the, the airline, airline, and uh, there's a few others that actually that have been purchasing some of these uh, kind of like tokenized carbon credit. Type, you know, I think from the the Moss platform, some of these companies have been purchasing some of these to kind of offset like their you know domestic flights or whatever. Um, I mean, so that, I mean, I, I guess that's that's a little different from what what you guys are doing, but yeah. it does it does show that um, that there does seem to be this willingness by uh, you know companies to be looking at these kind of like alternative assets, I guess, as a way Correct. Of, like experimenting. Like you were mentioning yeah. experimenting with different formats with different types of assets to use to factor into their carbon accounting. Yeah, it's becoming something that you see in a lot of places already. Uh, it's still a voluntary market. It's very important to say that. So it's not a uh, so in the voluntary market still uh, different pricing from like the the compliance market and uh, there is a big difference on fungible assets and non fungible assets. So sometimes fungible assets is, is it only represents like one ton or one one token normally represents one ton of carbon. Mm. So you don't know where that came from. So there is different qualities in different products. So if you go beyond the carbon itself, there is like, are you protecting the biodiversity? Uh, are you saving water in the process? And there is a lot of other indicators other than that. That's why we went on the NFT route. So whoever is buying know exactly what they're buying, where did that came from. So it's a different approach. Well, that leads to my next question, which was going to be, you know, is this the type of project that could be like replicated even without using an NFT? Or well, I guess you know, it's kind of the million dollar crypto question. Sure. It's like, do I actually need a blockchain for that? Right? It is. It is. I'll, I'll go straight to the point. It is. But there is like being in crypto for a long time. The best use case we've seen, you probably saw that as well, was cross-border transactions. Right. And that's why we are using crypto to allow those cross-border transactions from countries that are uh, pollute so they can compensate somewhere else. Uh, okay. So that's, that's, that's why. That's the million dollar question. So if I'm, you know, if I'm a company in Germany and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm looking to offset my carbon, I can buy these NFTs issued in Brazil. Less uh, friction than try to yeah. send money to Brazil and buying the local market. Got it, got it. So that's kind of the, and then there is the, the efficiency gains of being able to have all the, inform- the metadata and the information embedded directly into the NFT essentially also. Yeah. But like that, I mean, that can be replicated in other ways. Um, it's not like you don't necessarily need to have that, I suppose, but it, it, it certainly it keeps everything sort of packaged in, mm-hmm. in, in one, you know, sort of non fungible asset that can be easily sort of traded around. Non fungible, um, verifiable assets yeah. that could be traded. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, super helpful. And and there is another issue which is uh, we just saw this week that Nika was voted in the European Parliament. Yep. So we're going to have like a compliant f- framework to work with next year in Europe. So that's very important because Europe is, la- is the largest market for this kind of asset. Okay. Interesting. Um, and then I guess one other question I have is, yeah, you know, I feel like I have seen a lot of these kind of 
you know, NFT preserving the Amazon type projects mm-hmm. like popping up. Now you're doing more than just Amazon, but like it seems like I've seen a lot of these things just kind of pop up over the last like, couple of years since I've been really writing about Brazil. Um, and just kind of wondering, like, what's your take on, you know, like, I, maybe even if you're just kind of lay, set, setting, laying the framework here for somebody who is maybe just looking at these mm-hmm. things and they're like, well, okay, like, I like this idea. I want to help the Amazon. I like the idea of, of I like the idea of doing doing it via NFTs. How do I, um, you know, how do I sort of identify like what is legitimate and like maybe what is, yeah. you know, kind of a rug pull or it's just all, like a it's all about like, the data. Okay. <laughs> so you know, it's like we had to create a compliance platform to verify the land. So it crosses like seven different databases. Make sure it's not like an Indian land. It's not government land. It's not land that is already protected by other means. So this is very important. Otherwise, you know, you're not adding up anything in terms of the impact. So here the goal is generating true impact, environmental impact. In order to do that, you have to have those verification points and this data that allows you to do that. I think that's key. So make sure that whatever is being done, uh, it's verifiable. It's, it's according to the law. Brazil has extensive uh, environmental laws. So you have to follow the law in Brazil and uh, and also the compliance within digital assets. So it, it, is, a, it is a compound effect that, you know, those, those uh, assets they have to, to have in order to be verifiable and, and really generating the impact. I think that's the key word. You have to have something that generates impact. Right, right. And so, it, it, so there's a lot more to this, basically, than than simply just you know being like, hey, I want to I want to save the, the Amazon. I'm just going to put an NFT collection and sell these things, and proceeds are going to go to quote unquote saving the Amazon mm-hmm. somehow, preserving the Amazon. Uh, there's an entire for this to actually work in you know like a real impactful way. You really have to you really have to organize. You have to, have to structure everything in a, in a way that's really grounded in the it's, it's, it's legally binding. It has to be a legal framework for yeah, that. Yeah, otherwise, otherwise, it's just kind of, you know. You don't know where the money yeah. is going, you know. Yeah, so that's, is, that's yeah, important. Exactly. So you, exactly. have, you have to track the, fund, the, the use of the funds and everything to make sure, that, you know, that the money is doing what's supposed to do. Right, right. And then maybe to kind of wrap up here, um, maybe we can chat through a bit, like what just what type of um, you know, uptake or adoption have you seen? Kind of where, where first of all, like where are you on the roadmap right now? Yeah, and we, then we like, have we have we we started off like a year ago. Okay, um, and uh, we actually start selling the products. I would say seven to eight months ago. So we have a few clients, like oh, okay. corporate clients. Uh, the adoption is still early days, but uh, I, I mean we we are we are generating revenues in that sense. So that's the stage we are. And uh, now we we're building up a team for corporate sales. Okay. So that's 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 the direction. And, and then how, and then how? So how do you as an enterprise like make money on this thing? Uh, we got a cut on every uh, NFT we sell. Okay. So that's how we make money. It's very transparent. From, from the initial sale or from every sale thereafter? No, no, from the initial sale. The initial sale. Okay. Okay. Got so it. Uh, there are royalties on some of the NFTs for the landowner if that's been sold over and over. Oh, okay, okay. So, but we don't participate on that. So, our idea is to generate those assets and and making this uh, uh, 
match between corporations and landowners. Uh, so the corporation incentivizes the landowners to protect the land. That's a straightforward process, mm. supported by the law in Brazil, the, the environmental laws. And then, I guess, kind of going back to going back to the very beginning here, when we're talking about kind of the, dealing with the, the relationship between the between you, the buyers, and the landowners. How are you finding the landowners, and how are you sort of uh, convincing them to go along with this? Right, it, it's kind of this, you know, it's this weird new crypto yeah. technology, whatever. Like, how, how are you kind of convincing them to? to yeah, no, it's not a, it's not an easy sell. Again, uh, we have a network of uh, uh, environmental engineers that work already with the, those landowners. Okay, so they are commissioned; they they have commissions to bring those land. Those, those landowners to the program. And the program is an option contract, so it's a two-year option. So the landowner, they, they feel comfortable and participate with that. They negotiate the price uh, before, and uh, we have a price scheme of if we sell over that price, it benefits the landowner. Okay. So, so they, it, there isn't much friction on the beginning, and the asset itself, the money gets in escrow, and the asset is released once all the uh, legal documents are in place. Okay. So when everything is registered and verified, then it, the the funds are released to the landowner. Got it. Got it. And then maybe you just talk through a bit what what's what's kind of like the rest of the roadmap that you have here. Uh, oh, maybe throughout the rest of the year. Um, it sounds like you know next year in the U.S. with some of these new laws or these new disclosure regimes come into play. You're expecting a bit more kind of interest from the corporate side, so you try to build up for that and be just ready to go when those those schemes kick in. Uh, but maybe kind of go some more color around what your roadmap. Yeah, for next, like, uh, our roadmap months. starts with Europe. We already have like team members in Europe, uh, which we are creating a branch in Europe. We are a U.S. company, uh, Delaware-based support, uh, but uh, we have a branch in Brazil. That belongs to the U.S. company, and we're gonna have a branch in Europe as well. And the goal of those branches is sell locally. Uh, so the idea is start off in Europe later this year, and then 2024 expand to U.S. Uh, it will depend on the demand, but uh, we already have that pretty much mapped out. So Brazil, Europe, and U.S. is pretty much our roadmap. Got it. Got it. Um, would these be considered a security? Because well, uh, in the U.S., everything's a security now. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's co- that's <laughs> correct. It could be, it could be. Yeah. Uh, but again, uh, that's where you know we're. That's why Europe comes first. Yeah. Right. Where you know we're gonna be compliant with NICA, and uh, this will be traded actually in exchange. Uh, that it's it's almost a security. You know, you gotta have KYC and things like that. Uh, we do. We do started trading on on like uh, OpenSea. Our first trades were on OpenSea. Okay. But uh, now we see that it's gonna you're gonna have like to have KSC, KYC AML uh, in place in order to trade that as part of Mika. So security or utility? We have a clear utility because it doesn't have like a, we're not buying land or. Right. Uh, the utility is converting the land, so that's the utility of the NFT. It's pretty straightforward uh, to prove because that's what it does, and uh, there isn't a speculative behavior because the companies are buying and holding that uh, for their purpose, 
So I think we were fine on that on that on that piece, but uh, we gotta see as Mika gets uh, operational next year. It just got approved. They're gonna become operational in 2024. We're gonna see the details where and where not. We are not gonna be able to to trade those sure. assets. Sure, sure. Okay, so it's still kind of up in the air where exactly. Yeah, you know, you'll be able. Assuming you'll be able to buy them like peer to peer. Yeah, know, but, I but, mean we have signed contracts and things like that yeah. to operate off chain and on chain as well. Yeah. But uh, uh, it's a matter of just follow the uh, whatever the the compliance will be for this kind of asset. Sure, sure. Yeah, which is obviously still unclear at the moment, but a reasonably good idea of what it might be. Um, okay, that's that's super helpful. And then maybe maybe lastly, you know. I mean, are you guys, um, you know, are you guys looking to raise funds still, or, or are you? Yeah. Like, what's your kind of like your your kind of personnel and operational, you know, expansion plans? We, for, we for have such. Sell? We have a, a big team for a startup. Uh, we're almost ten people. Okay. And uh, actually, I think right now it's more than ten, but uh, uh, in Brazil, in US, and in Europe, so we are a very distributed team, but. Uh, we gotta we gonna re raise a seed round of one point five million dollars to it for the expansion itself. Okay. We had initial investors. Uh, we have a, a at least a year of ahead of us where we have money, but uh, we're we want to expand that for other places, mainly Europe at this point, and then uh, U.S. Okay. So as of now, you're is it were you able to find some angel investors yeah. or were you? Kind of self-financing a lot of this as well. For the, for all the of the above. All the above. Okay. <laughs> okay. Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Um, well, that sounds really interesting. And, and maybe, maybe, maybe to kind of wrap up here, I, I'd like to go back onto this this point that we mentioned earlier about the you know, the, the the kind of shifting the thinking around this whole marketplace, this whole idea that you're you're developing, kind of moving this from kind of the, the marketing to the compliance mm-hmm. from the from the institutional, from the from the corporate perspective, right? Whereas, which um, is interesting to kind of get your take to elaborate a bit more on just. So it feels like this is much a bigger shift it than is. than it's a much bigger shift than what we you know. It's not just a matter of you know. It's much broader than just this particular project, right? But um, maybe kind of kind of end on this point of. You're identifying it's a it's a it's a niche that, it's a, it's a niche that exists currently, but it's a niche that's going to be much more pronounced in like a year right. or two. And this is a really interesting example of kind of you know the whole like skating to where the puck is going type of strategy, right? And I, and I feel like you're kind of like nailing that on the head here with this project. Yeah, again, what we learned over this period that we developed the company was uh, the budget to buy those assets or for conservation projects. They all came from marketing budget. So it was about you know promoting the company, and now we start to see uh, investor relations and other parts of the company interest on that, and that's because the disclosures and there is a clear path for that to become part of the compliance within the company. There are a lot of companies they have pledges like to offset all carbon by twenty thirty. So there is a lot of pledges. So in order to fulfill those pledges, that will become part of the compliance within the company. So once it becomes a compliance, the market changes a lot. So that's how we see. And, and there is another parameter, which is uh, in order for us to avoid a complete disaster in the climate, 
we have to invest 10 times what's been invested so far in the sector. Right. So the sector will grow 10x. Okay. Otherwise, we'll be in trouble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it's a good point to end on, I think, here, is that there's really sort of a, uh, yeah, you're, you're seeing, like, the market opportunity, but there's also just sort of, like, the, the necessity of this whole thing, too. Absolutely. Like, you know, like there's, there's you know, kind of extreme times going for extreme yeah. measures, right? Um, well, anyways, well, let's wrap up on that. But how can folks uh, get in touch with you or find you if they want to learn more? Our website is preserva.land. And my email is gs at preserva.land. Awesome, awesome. Well, great. Well, thank you so much, Guilherme, for coming on. Um, and thank you so much for Coindesk and uh, Consensus 2023 and Brave for hosting us in their lovely podcast studio here. Uh, it's been a really great experience. Thanks, everyone, for watching, and we will come back to you soon with another great episode. Thanks for having me. Obrigado, everyone, and thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the Brazil Crypto Report newsletter on Substack if you haven't already. And please do give the show a five-star rating on your podcast app if you enjoyed this content. We'll be back soon with another great guest.